السلام علیکم و رحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمد الکریم اما بعد فعود بلّہ من الشیطان الرجیم بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم ربش رحلی صدری ویسرلی عمری وحل القطمسانی قولی ربنا علما The question is that if a person wishes to drink some water first thing in the morning, like for example water and honey, should they do miswak first or should they clean their mouth first? Or should they drink first? What do you think makes more sense? Yes, cleaning the mouth first. Because if the mouth is not clean and you're drinking something, then whatever you know stuff is in, in the mouth will actually go into the stomach, which is not healthy at all. So the first thing that should be done is cleaning the mouth. There was a question asked about the last hadith that we learned. And that was the hadith of in Kitab al-Wudu, the hadith which tells us about the dua that a person should say before going to sleep. And it should be the last statement that a person says before going to sleep. And that when a person sleeps, then he should sleep in the state of tahara, right? In the state of wudu. So what's the benefit? What's the benefit of sleeping in the state of tahara? One is that if a person dies in that state, after he has said those kalimat, then inshallah he dies on al-fitrah. There is another benefit also of sleeping in the state of tahara. And what is that benefit? The benefit is that we learn from a hadith that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, purify these bodies and Allah will purify you. Meaning you purify the body and Allah will purify you internally, spiritually, your heart. Whenever a slave spends his night in a state of purification, an angel spends his night within his hair, meaning very close to him. And he does not turn over during the night except that the angel says, Oh Allah, forgive your slave. For he went to sleep in a state of purification. And this is reported by Al-Tabarani and graded as Hassan by Al-Albani. So there is benefit. All right, One is that Inshallah, if a person dies in that state, then he will die on fitrah. And secondly, that the angel prays for him. Every time that a person moves in the sleep, the angel prays, Oh Allah, forgive the slave of yours. Forgive the slave of yours. It's a problem because of which a person has to keep going to the washroom. Then at least the first time that a person is going to bed, when he is you know, thinking of sleeping, then he should do this at least. And in the middle of the night, if a person ends up using the washroom, then... And if it's hard upon him or her, then he shouldn't impose difficulty on himself. When you do wudu before going to bed, and when you go to bed, you say all your adhkar, and finally you say this, and then you're like, I'm not saying anything now. Then you really have a good sleep. You really have a restful sleep. Because your thoughts, they calm down, your mind calms down, everything goes to sleep, right? Before you fall asleep. So it gives you good sleep. Okay, let's continue. Kitab al-Ghusl. The book of Al-Ghusl. Ghusl, from the root letters, Ghain, Sin, Lam, with a dhamma, meaning Ghusl, with a dhamma on the Ghain, Ghusl, the word means to wash. And the word is also used for the water that is used for washing. When the word is Ghusl, with a dhamma on Ghain. So to wash and the water that is used for washing. And the word is also pronounced with a fatha on Ghain, so Ghusl. Ghusl as well. And Ghusl is also the act of washing. But there's a slight difference between Ghusl and Ghusl. Ghusl also includes the water that is used for washing. But remember that both of these pronunciations are there, they're valid. So Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, Kitab al Ghusl. Ghusl is to wash the entire body, meaning all of the body parts, where dalk is not a requirement. What does dalk mean? To rub. We read in the hadith earlier about Sul Hudaybiyah where the companions every time that the Prophet ﷺ spat, they would catch the spit and dalaka. He would rub it on his face, right? So dalk is to rub. So ghusl is to wash the entire body, all of the body parts, but remember that dalk is not a requirement, meaning you don't have to scrub and rub every part of your body. So for example, if you just pour water on your arm, on your leg, is that sufficient? Yes, it is sufficient. Alright, but if you feel that a part of the body may be left dry, then a person will rub over. But remember that rubbing, dalk, is not a requirement. And so this means that if a person dips his body in a pool of water, alright, or stands under the shower, is that sufficient as ghusl? Yes, it is. He doesn't have to pass his hand over to rub. Now, 
غسل is one of the means of obtaining purity through what? Through water. What is the other way of obtaining purity through water? Wudu. But both are of different levels. But both of these ways, both of these means of obtaining purity are through what? Through water. The other way of obtaining purity is with turab, with mud, right? And which is tayammum. So tayammum is tuhur through turab. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned all of these three ways of obtaining purity, whether it is ghusl or wudu or tayammum in the Qur'an. First of all, in Surah Al-Ma'idah, ayah number six. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ya ayyuhal ladina amanu, ida qumtum ila salati, faghsilu wujuhakum wa aidiyakum ila al-marafiq. وَمْسَحُوا بِرُؤُوسِكُمْ وَأَرْجُلَكُمْ إِلَى الْكَعْبَيْنِ This is referring to wudu. That when you stand up to pray, then wash your faces and your hands up to the elbows and wipe your heads and wash your feet until the ankles. Then in the same ayah, ghusl is mentioned. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا If you are in the state of janaba, then obtain purification, meaning take ghusl. And then tayammum is mentioned. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَىٰ أَوْ عَلَىٰ سَفَرٍ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ مِّنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ لَامَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءِ فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُوا صَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا So these are the three ways of, of obtaining purity. Wudu, ghusl, and tayammum. And all of these are mentioned in the verse of Surah Al-Ma'idah, which is number six. And remember that wudu is required when a person needs just tahara sughra, and ghusl is required when a person needs tahara kubra. Meaning, one is a, a lesser level of purification and the other is a greater level of purification. And it depends on the level of impurity. Okay, It depends on the level of impurity that a person will adopt either tahara sughra or tahara kubra. So one state demands wudu and the other state demands ghusl. And we see that all of these are combined in this ayah. Imam Bukhari writes, وَقَوْلِ اللَّهِ تَعَالَى And the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا He doesn't mention the ayah from the beginning, he goes directly to the part where ghusl is mentioned. وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُوبًا فَاتَّهَّرُوا If you are in the state of janaba, then obtain purity. Then obtain purification. The word junub is used for the person who is in the state of janaba. And what is janaba? Major impurity. One is minor impurity and the other is major impurity. Minor impurity is what we have learned in Kitab al-Wudu. Meaning the state which requires that a person perform wudu before he prays salah. So for example, when a person has used the washroom, passed wind. This is what? Minor impurity and only wudu is required. Janaba, on the other hand, is major impurity for which wudu alone is not sufficient. What is necessary? Ghusl is necessary. Now the question is, what is the state of janaba? The state of janaba includes two things. One is that inzalul mani bishahwa, that a person has let out money, meaning his body has let out money out of shahwa. Okay, so there's shahwa, there's pleasure. So in other words, a person who has experienced sexual pleasure. Okay, a person who has experienced sexual pleasure. And this could have been when a person was asleep, so a wet dream. Likewise, it could have been when a person was awake, such as erotic thoughts or whatever that led to such an event. And it could be sexual intimacy too. So the first is inzalul mani bishahwa. When a person lets out money, then ghusl becomes Wajib. And it's the same for man or woman. The second state is jima, meaning sexual intercourse. And this means that even if a person has had sexual intercourse but did not experience sexual pleasure, still ghusl is mandatory. Still a person will be considered in the state of janaba, as reported in the hadith of Abu Huraira, which inshallah we will learn about later. So these are the two states of janaba. What are they? First of all, inzalul mani, and secondly, jima'ah. Now, remember that this excludes the woman who is menstruating. The menstruating woman is not in a state of janaba, which means that the rulings we're going to learn about over here do not automatically apply to a menstruating woman. Alright? They do not automatically apply to a menstruating woman, because what's the difference between a person who is in state of janaba and the woman who is menstruating? 
The main difference is the woman who is menstruating does not have any control over her haid. And this is why haid is called haid because the blood flows by itself, stops itself without a woman having any control over it. And on the other hand, the person who is in the state of janaba, does he have control over his situation? Yes, he can take a bath immediately and come out of that state. Right? So remember that junub includes these two kinds of people and not the woman who is menstruating. This is why the rules will be different. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبًا فَاتَّهَرُوا When you are in the state of Janaba, then فَاتَّهَرُوا meaning obtain purification, obtain tahara. But notice over here, no specific body parts are mentioned that wash this body part and then that body part, nor is there any order that is mentioned. When it comes to wudu, we see that the body, the limbs are specified, the order is specified, and the way of washing is also specified, meaning one has to be washed, the other has to be wiped over. But when it comes to ghusl, then the entire body is to be washed. The entire body is to be washed. It has to be purified. And this is the reason why following a particular order in performing ghusl is not mandatory. It is masnoon. It is better that a person performs wudu first and then pours water on his you know, head and right side and left side and the feet at the end. That is better, but out of forgetfulness or because of inability, or whatever. If a person ends up just standing under the shower, and coming, stepping out, he had the intention obviously to purify himself, and he comes out, is his ghusl valid? Yes, it is. Even if he did not wet his right side first, and then left side? Yes, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَالطَّهَرُوا Obtain purification. Which is why the scholars have said that if a person dips himself into water, and comes out, even that is sufficient. Even that is enough. And there are proofs for that from the sunnah as well. Now we see that the sunnah defines the way of ghusl. Definitely from the sunnah we learn the method of ghusl, which is why it is better to perform ghusl in that manner. Because the sunnah, what does it do? It explains the Qur'an. If Allah has said, فَالطَّهَرٌ Then the sunnah tells us how to فَالطَّهَرُ However, if a person is not able to follow the sunnah, he forgot He's trying to develop the habit, but he's still in the process. Okay, So if for whatever reason he's not able to, then is his ghusl valid still? Yes, it is still valid. So just because you forgot to follow the procedure, doesn't mean you step into the shower again and take ghusl the sunnah way. It's not necessary to do that. We learn from a hadith in which a man was not praying with the rest of the people, and the Prophet ﷺ asked him the reason for that. And he replied that he was junub and he had no water. So the Prophet ﷺ instructed him to use mud, and meaning to do tayammum, as that would suffice him. Later when water was found, the Prophet ﷺ told him, take this and pour on yourself. So pour on yourself. He didn't say, okay, pour on your head and then your right and then your left and the feet at the end. So this means that washing the entire body is the main purpose of ghusl. And once that is done, ghusl is valid. Is there a better way of performing ghusl? Yes, there is. Is that more rewardable? Definitely, because you're following the sunnah. But is it wajib? It's not wajib. Then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ مَرْضَىٰ أَوْ عَلَىٰ سَفَرٍ أَوْ جَاءَ أَحَدٌ مِّنْكُمْ مِّنَ الْغَائِطِ أَوْ لَا مَسْتُمُ النِّسَاءَ فَلَمْ تَجِدُوا مَاءً فَتَيَمَّمُوا سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا But if you are ill or on a journey or have come from the washroom or have touched women, and touching women over here means having sexual intercourse, because this is a figurative way of referring to that. And you cannot find any water. You have used the washroom. Secondly, you've had sexual relations and you cannot find water. Meaning, you need wudu or you need ghusl. You need either wudu or you need ghusl. In both cases, but you cannot find water, then what should you do? فَتَيَمَّمُ سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا Then do tayammum with pure earth. Do tayammum with pure earth. Now, notice that it has been said, if you do not find water, and finding water can only be after talab, meaning after seeking. So the first step is to seek, to look for water. And the scholars have gone to such an extent that a person has to go and search for water, and if he can buy water from someone, if he can afford to, then he has to. And if he cannot buy that water, then what will he do? Then he will do tayammum. فَتَيَمَّمُوا And tayammum is to be done with what? سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا 
Sa'id, that is Tayyib. Inshallah, we'll learn more about Tayyibun later in Kitabu Tayyibun, but just something small about Sa'id and Tayyibun that Sa'id Tayyib refers to the entire surface of the earth. Okay, it refers to the surface of the earth, meaning what the ground is made of. So for example, you are in the park and the ground is made of what? Mud. There's grass on it. Let's say you step into the sand area. Now, it's all sand. That particular ground is off, right? Sand. Now, let's say you are on the road and it's snowing. And uh, let's say there's like, may Allah save us, but 10 inches of snow or something. There's no way of digging through the snow and reaching the bottom, right? But still, is the snow sarid? It's not. Because it's not what the ground is made of. It has fallen on the ground. It has fallen on the ground. Like this carpet has been laid on the ground. So the carpet is not sarid. Nor is your tiled floor. Or you can say wooden floor. Okay, Because tile is made of stuff that's on the surface of the earth, meaning rock, okay, or something similar. So remember that snow is not sarid. Then you'll have to melt the snow and then use it for wudu. So in other words, Sa'id Tayyiban includes sand, mud, rocks, even rocks, even if they're not dusty. Even if they're not dusty, rocks are what? Sa'id. And this means that dust, since it's Sa'id, if that dust is on the carpet, can you do Taimum with that? Yes. If that dust is on the walls, can you do Taimum with that? Yes. If that dust is on your dashboard in the car, can you do Taimum with that? Yes, you can. If it's on the chair, yes, you can. Okay, because it's dust. But if you know that your dashboard in the car is absolutely clean, there's no dust on it, you just had it cleaned the same day, then can you do tayammum from that? No, you can't. So this excludes, Sa'id Tayyiban excludes what? Snow, ice. And also because it has to be Tayyib, Sa'id and Tayyiban, clean. So that means that if the ground is dirty, meaning let's say blood fell on it, or let's say an, an animal urinated over there. So is that mud clean? No. Is it suitable for tayammum? Not at all. But what if a person is not able to tayammum then? Like what if you're stuck in the snowstorm and uh, you don't see any mud, your car is absolutely clean, uh, you don't find any dust, then what are you going to do? Then you will pray however you are. The alternate to wudu ghusl is what? Tayammum. But if a person cannot do tayammum even, despite putting an effort, then what will he do? He will pray in whatever state that he is in. Because, فَاتَّقُوا اللَّهَ مَسْتَطَعْتُمْ You have to fear Allah as much as you're able. So you will look throughout your car looking for some dust. Okay? You will look outside. Even if you have to walk a little bit to get somewhere, to get some dust. Let's say, you know, there are some trees. You can dust them off and maybe get some, maybe get a hold of some dust or something. If you can do that, go ahead. You have to do it. But if, despite much effort, you're not able to, then you will pray in whatever condition that you're in. Because salah, you cannot delay. What do we do? We say we don't have water. We cannot stop. We cannot do tayammum. We're stuck in the snow. Okay, we'll pray when we get home. And even if the time for the salah has gone, no, that's not right. That's not right. You cannot delay your salah. You have to pray. You have to pray. Because, inna salata kanat ala mu'minina kitabum mawquta. On the set times you have to pray. But what happens with us is that we don't want to put in the effort. We feel embarrassed. Right? We don't want to put in the effort. We feel embarrassed. We don't want to try too hard. And because of that, we just Accept whatever state we're in. We don't pray and we pray later. But is that correct? It's not. You have to pray wherever you are. And this is why, for example, if a person is ill, he is sick and he needs someone to help him, even do tayammum. And he's not able to do tayammum. Nobody's there to help him. So how will he pray then? Without wudu, without tayammum, because that's, it's beyond his ability. It's beyond his control. So fatayammamu sa'idan tayyiban. فَامْسَحُوا بِوُجُوهِكُمْ وَأَيْدِيكُمْ مِنْهُ Wipe your faces and your hands from it, meaning from the mud. مَا يُرِيدُ اللَّهُ لِيَجْعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ مِنْ حَرَجْ وَلَكِنْ يُرِيدُ لِيُطَهِّرَكُمْ وَلِيُتِمَّ نِعْمَتَهُ عَلَيْكُمْ لَعَلَّكُمْ تَشْكُرُونَ The ni'mah, the blessing of the deen is perfected, because the deen is complete. So you do wudu, 
pray. You can't do wudu, do tayammum. You can't do tayammum, then you have to pray however you are. It's best if the rock that you're using for tayammum is normal, meaning it has a little bit of dust, whatever. But remember that dust is not a condition. So for example, if the rock is washed, okay, the rock is clean, it's washed. Or let's say it just rained and the rocks are all washed, there's no dust. Can you still do tayammum with that? Yes, you can. How do we know that the dust is not a condition? Because when you put your hands on Sa'id Tayyiban, then what do you do? You blow. Okay, you blow. You blow off the dust. So that means it's not necessary to, to rub dust on your face or on your hands. That's not a condition. A person has to put an effort to find water first. If, despite effort, he's not able to find water, then he will do tayammum. So the question is that, Alhamdulillah, where we live, water is accessible. But that means that if you're on the highway, you have to get off, go somewhere, find water, do wudu, and then pray. If you have the time, in the sense that you can, I mean, there is an exit close by, then you should take that exit and pray. But if you feel that by the time you'll take the exit and get to Tim Hortons and do wudu, the time for salah will already be gone. Because it may happen that you get onto the highway and you're stuck in traffic. It happened with me once that we were supposed to get home from the airport and usually it takes about 10-15 minutes maximum. We had just arrived and we thought as soon as we get home we'll pray. But as we get onto the highway, it was just jam-packed and I had to pray my zuhr and my asr. And I'm like... I can't delay. You can't get off from the car anyway on the highway. I mean, if I get off, start praying, then the person who's driving has to move forwards and they can't stop the car and you can't stand there anyway. It's against the law. Okay, take the next exit. Even that was impossible because we were just stuck in the highway. And I knew that by the time we'd get home or take the nearest exit and find a Tim Hortons, whatever, the time would be gone. So then I took some dust from the dashboard and it was beyond my ability. I couldn't stand and pray. I couldn't get off. There was no way. And it was not expected that I would be in a situation like that. You know, one is that you expect that you could be in a situation, then you pray before leaving. But if you are in a situation where it was unexpected, then you are, مستطعتم, right? You do the best that you can and Allah knows. This is just like when a person is in a plane, he cannot stand and pray. Then how will he pray? Even his fault, he will Sit and pray. Can he ask the crew to land the plane so that he can pray? No. Can he tell everybody to not walk in front of him so that he can pray in the aisle? No, he can't do that. So if you are in a situation like that, then again, do tayammum and pray wherever you are. But do not delay your prayer. First is that we should be extremely careful about these matters. That if you expect that you are going to become clean around a particular time or on a certain day, then try to be home around that time. Okay, or well before the time for that salah is going to finish. I mean, if we're out in the mall or if we're out at school or something like that, you have to give importance to salah. But if you were not expecting at all and it's beyond your ability, you try to get home, you try to take a bus, you try to take a cab, whatever, but it's not working out, then again, you've tried your best and Allah knows. Again, remember, It doesn't mean that we become easy in ourselves, but that we try our level best. Okay, we try to obey Allah, we try to follow the rules to the best of our ability. Anyway, inshallah we'll learn more about tayammum and menstruation later. Then the next ayah, وَقَوْلِهِ جَلَّ ذِكْرُهُ يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا لَا تَقْرَبُوا الصَّلَاةَ وَأَنْتُمْ سُكَارَ حَتَّى تَعْلَمُوا مَا تَقُولُونَ That, O oh, you who have believed, do not approach the prayer or the place of prayer when you are drunk, meaning in the state of drunkenness. Until you know what you are saying. And this you know is mansukh. Meaning later on, alcohol was forbidden anyway. وَلَا جُنُبًا إِلَّا عَابِرِ سَبِيلٍ Nor in a state of major impurity, unless you are traveling or passing by. So this means that a person cannot pray salah in the state of janaba, Because Allah says, لَا تَقْرَبُ الصَّلَاةِ Don't even approach prayer. Or the place of prayer. There are two interpretations to this. So, Meaning, even also when you're in the state of Janaba, do not pray. So it's not allowed to pray in the state of Janaba. Until you take ghusl. Meaning, once you take ghusl, then you may pray. Meaning, 
طَيِّبًا And if you are sick or traveling, or one of you has used the washroom, or you have had relations with the women, and you do not find water, then do tayammum with سَعِيدًا طَيِّبًا How? فَمْسَحُوا بِوُجُوهِكُمْ وَأَيْدِيكُمْ Wipe your hands and your faces. إِنَّ اللَّهَ كَانَ عَفُوًا غَفُورًا So we see that both of these ayat that Imam Bukhari has quoted, what do they prove? The obligation of obtaining purification through washing, through ghusl, in order to come out of the state of Janaba so that a person can pray. Because in the state of Janaba, a person is not allowed to pray. He has to take ghusl. And if that is not possible, then a person has to do tayammum. So after mentioning the evidence from the Qur'an, now let's look at the sunnah. What does the sunnah say about taking ghusl? Bab al-wudu'i qabla al-ghusli. Al-wudu meaning performing wudu qabla al-ghusl before ghusl. Performing wudu before washing the body, before taking the ghusl. Now remember that wudu is sunnah for ghusl. It is not wajib, but rather it is sunnah, it is mustahab. And what's the evidence for that? As mentioned earlier, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَالطَّهَرُوا حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُوا And no order has been mentioned. So because of that reason, if a person washes the entire body, then that is sufficient. But it is better to do the ghusl, the sunnah way. And what does that mean? That a person does wudu before the ghusl. حَدَّثَنَا عَبْدُ اللَّهِ بْنُ يُوسُفْ قَالَ أَخْبَرَنَا مَالِكَ عَنْ هِشَامْ عَنْ أَبِيهِ عَنْ عَائِشَةَ زَوْجِ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ Aisha radiallahu anha, the wife of the Prophet sallallahu she said that anna nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, kana, he used to, idha ghtasala, when he would take a bath, min al-janaba, from janaba, meaning when he would take a bath in order to come out of the state of janaba, then bada'a, he would begin, how? فَغَسَلَ yadayhi. He would begin by washing both his hands. That's the first thing he would do. Wash both hands first. ثُمَّ يَتَوَضَّأُ كَمَا يَتَوَضَّأُ لِلصَّلَاةِ Then he would perform wudu just as he would do wudu for salah. ثُمَّ then يُدْخِلُ أَصَابِعَهُ فِي الْمَاءِ Then he would enter his fingers into the water. فَيُخَلِّلُ بِهَا أُصُولَ شَعْرِهِ And then he would do khilal with his wet fingers. Okay? يُخَلِّلُ He would do khilal. Biha with them, meaning with the wet fingers that he had dipped in the water to make wet. Okay, so he would dip fingers into the water and then he would do khilal of what? Usul sha'rihi. Usul, the roots. Okay, of his hair. Meaning he would wet the scalp using wet fingers. Not pouring water, but by using wet fingers. Because if you try to wet the scalp by pouring water, then you would need a lot of water, like we do. But if you have a little bit of water, then what's the most efficient way that you wet your fingers and pass them through the hair? Okay, touching the scalp. Summa, then when the scalp would be all wet, then yasubbu ala ra'sihi. Then he would pour the water on the head. How many times? Salatha, three. Ghurafin, handfuls. With a jug? No. Biyadayhi, with both his hands. Meaning then he would scoop up water with both his hands. And then he would pour that on his head. How many times? Three times. What an efficient way of washing your head. Summa then yufidul ma he would pour water ala jildihi kullihi on his entire skin. Meaning then he would make the rest of the body all wet, meaning he would wash it off. So the masnoon, the mustahab ghusl begins with what? Washing hands first of all. Why? Exactly, because if the hands will be clean, then the water will remain clean and the body will be clean. Right? This is just like in wudu also we learned that before dipping hands into the vessel, what was the habit of the Prophet ﷺ? That he would wash his hands first. After washing the hands, then he would take water in order to rinse the mouth, clean the nose. So it is better, it is necessary that a person washes his hands first, especially when he's not using a shower. Okay, meaning a shower head. In other words, you are taking water from a from a container, from a vessel. So it's important that the hands are clean. And then we see that this was followed by performing wudu. Just like the wudu for salah, which was followed by, by making the scalp wet, which was followed by making the hair wet, which was followed by making the entire body wet, meaning washing the entire body. Now remember that wudu 
includes rinsing the mouth and sniffing up water up the nose and blowing that out. Because that is also necessary for ghusl. Okay, that is necessary for ghusl. A person has to clean the inside of his mouth, meaning rinse his mouth, as well as clean the nose. And that is a part of wudu. Now one thing that you should notice over here is that wudu is not part of ghusl, but rather it is done before ghusl. What's the chapter heading? Al-wudu qabl al-ghusl. Wudu is not part of ghusl. Remember that. It is done before ghusl. Because if you think about it, when you wash your entire body, aren't your arms going to get wet? Aren't your feet going to get wet? Isn't your face going to get wet? Yes. But didn't you wash that already in wudu? Yes, you did. So this means that wudu is not a part of ghusl, but rather it is masnoon to perform it before. Wudu is tahara sughra and ghusl is tahara kubra. Wudu is minor level of purification and ghusl is you can say a greater level of purification. And remember that tahara sughra is not a requirement for tahara kubra. So wudu is not a requirement for ghusl. Because if it was a requirement, then it would be done in the ghusl. It's not a requirement. But it is better. It is better to have tahara sughra before tahara kubra. It is better to do wudu before performing ghusl. And especially if a person is in a situation where he is not able to do ghusl immediately. Let's say a person is in the state of Geneva, he should take ghusl, but he has to, let's say, answer a phone call, talk to someone, and let's say they're going to ask about something in the Qur'an, or let's say they have to go run an errand, uh, they have to drop somebody off to the masjid. So in that state, or let's say, uh, like we learned earlier about sleeping in the state of tahara, a person would like to take ghusl before sleeping, but they're not able to. Then what should a person do? Wudu at least. Because that is, you can say, the beginning of obtaining complete purification. You can do wudu before entering the shower even, or you can do it in the shower. Meaning there can be a gap between the wudu and ghusl. There can be a gap between wudu and ghusl. Like for example, a person is in the state of Janaba. Ideally, he should take a bath before sleeping. If he's not able to, then inshallah we learn in the hadith that a person should do wudu at least before sleeping. A person might say, you're still in the state of Janaba, you can't pray. Yes, you can't. But at least you are getting there. You are getting to the level of complete purification. Likewise, staying in the masjid according to the majority of the scholars, is not something that is permissible for a person who is in the state of Janaba. He can pass through, but he cannot stay. But what if a person has to stay? He's not able to go home, take a bath. Like at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, there were people who lived in the masjid, Ashabu Sufa. They were men. Ali anhu. he was sleeping in, in the masjid once when he was angry with Fatima ﷺ. And what did the Prophet ﷺ say to him? Abu Turab. And according to some, this is an expression which refers to someone who has wet dreams, meaning someone who has, who is, you know, a young youth, you know, of that age. If a person has to stay in the masjid, has to talk to someone, has a class or something, then what will he do? He or she do? They will have to do wudu and then they can stay. So, wudu before ghusl. Wudu before ghusl. Not part of ghusl, but before. There can be a gap between tahara sughra and tahara kubra. It's not ideal, but you may be in a situation where where it happens. So at least do wudu. So that means that if a person did not do wudu, but he just did ghusl, can he pray? Yes. Yes. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَالطَّهَرُوا حَتَّى تَغْتَسِلُوا So the obligation is fulfilled. But what is better? Do do that ghusl in the way that the Prophet ﷺ taught. Your body gets wet and it's understood that the mouth and nose have to be cleaned up as well. And typically when you're standing under the shower, if you go through the swimming pool, right, then water will go into your mouth and you will have to blow your nose too. If it's just a normal shower, then that's different. I mean, if the shower is meant to come out of the state of Janaba, then that will be okay. 
حدثنا محمد بن يوسف قال حدثنا سفيان عن الأعمش عن سالم بن أبي الجعدي عن كريب عن ابن عباس عن ميمونة زوج النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قالت ميمونة ضلو عنها another wife of the prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم she said that توضأ رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم that he performed wudu wudu'ah للصلاة just like he would do wudu for صلاة غير رجليه without washing his feet so he did everything minus the feet وَغَسَلَ فَرْجَهُ And he also washed his private part. وَمَا أَصَابَهُ مِنَ الْأَذَى And what had reached him, meaning what had fallen on his body of أَذَى أَذَى means, like, it doesn't mean hurt, but that has to be washed up. And it's referring to money that had fallen on him. So he washed that thoroughly as well. ثُمَّ أَفَاضَ عَلَيْهِ الْمَاءِ And then he poured water on himself. ثُمَّ نَحَّى رِجْلَيْهِ And then he moved both his feet, meaning he stepped away from the place where he had washed his body. And then فَغَسَلَهُمَا Then he washed both his feet. Meaning he washed the feet at the end. And she said, هَذِهِ غُسْلُهُ مِنَ الْجَنَابَةِ This was his غُسْل from Janaba. Meaning this was the way that he would take غُسْل in order to come out of the state of Janaba. This was his usual way. Now, this description of the ghusl tells us about different sifat. It's not a contradiction. Because Aisha radiallahu anha, she described one ghusl. Maymuna radiallahu anha, she's describing another ghusl. It's not a contradiction. It's just that they're, they're mentioning different sifat, different characteristics. And this depends on, you know, the place where a person is in and also the observation of every individual. So each noticed different things. Now, what do we see? That in this description of ghusl, Also, the Prophet ﷺ did wudu first, and then he washed his body, meaning then he performed ghusl. But we see that in the wudu that he performed, he did not wash the feet. Why? What's the reason? Okay, that it's possible that where he was taking a bath, water was collecting over there. So he did not want that he washes his feet, but then again the feet get dirty, and then he has to wash them again. Okay. Okay, so that he would just have to wash them once at the end. Because remember that water was less. They didn't have that much water that you can wash your feet multiple times. During, you know, wudu and then during ghusl and at the end also. So basically if you think about it, he would take a bath on mud, right? And it's understood that when you will pour water on mud, it will become wet and sticky. It will get stuck to your feet. So this is the reason why he would just wash them once at the end. Why? In order to clean the feet. But if you're standing in a shower that is, let's say, tiled, or let's say it's a plastic tub or whatever, then your feet are clean. No mud is getting stuck to your feet. So is it necessary to wash your feet at the end? No, it's not. As long as your feet get wet, it's perfectly fine. And if you feel that the water pressure is not that great and your feet might not be thoroughly wet, then you can wash them. Separately, but there's no need. It's not a requirement. So don't make it hard upon yourself. Because we see that in the description of the ghusl of Aisha, there's no mention of this. So it's possible that in Maimunah, her house, the area was different. It's possible. So there was more of a need to wash the feet at the end. And Aisha's hujra, perhaps the area was different. There was no need. Right? So it's possible. Now the question would be that why did he not complete the wudu? If you're saying that wudu is supposed to be done before ghusl, he did not complete the wudu. He didn't wash the feet. Okay, it's not necessary to do wudu. It's just a more efficient way of doing ghusl. So this is another evidence. Okay, but if you think about it, when you're doing wudu, let's say you're doing wudu, you did must, all of a sudden the phone is ringing, so you quickly go pick up and tell them, I'll call you back. And by the time you get back to the washroom, your arms are still wet. Can you wash your feet? Yes, you can. But if your arms have dried, your face has dried, then can you wash your feet? No, then you have to start all over again. But we see that he was there. He didn't move away. He was right there. He just delayed washing his feet till the end. Okay? He just delayed washing his feet until the end. So there is no harm in doing that. The question is that if, let's say, in the shower stall, the water stands... If the water stands, then then what are you supposed to do? Then you should definitely, definitely wash your feet at the end, okay? Because you never know what may be in the water. I mean, you've just taken a bath. So it's important that you wash your feet at the end. But can you wash your feet after drying yourself? No. What you can do is 
you come out of the shower stall and wash your feet in the sink. Like you would do for wudu. Okay, you could do that. Because don't let yourself thoroughly dry and then wash your feet at the end. Or you could, you know, keep, you know, a small bucket or something like that of water filled up by the tub. And as you come out, wash your feet in the tub as you're stepping out. Okay? So, I mean, wash them soon. And besides, it's not nice to walk around even for a few minutes on the floor because then it's going to cause the floor to get dirty as well. I mean, you wash your feet eventually, but then you're stepping on the same floor. So it's best to clean the feet before coming out. So just keep keep a bucket or something. Wash your feet before stepping out. All right. باب غسل الرجل مع امرأته A man, غسل الرجل, غسل by a man, meaning a man taking a bath, مع امرأته, together with his wife. Meaning, is it permissible for a husband and wife to take a bath together at the same time from the same vessel? Yes, ghusl does not become invalid. It is perfectly fine. Just because one person is taking a bath, the water does not get contaminated. It's perfectly fine for the other person to use it too. And taking a bath at the same time, there's no harm in that either. حدثنا آدم بن أبي إياس قال حدثنا ابن أبي ذئب عن الزهري عن عروة عن عائشة قالت she said كنت أغتسل أنا والنبي صلى الله عليه وسلم كنت I used to take a bath me myself as well as I and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم I and the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم would take a bath من إناء واحد from the same vessel من قدح that was a قدح meaning that was a pot so from the same container and that container was a pot and that pot يقال له it was called الفرق it used to be called الفرق so this means that it's permissible for the husband and wife to take a bath together at the same time. And obviously this will happen when both are undressed. And there is no harm in this because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Mu'minun, Ayah 5 to 6, that وَالَّذِينَ هُمْ لِفُرُوجِهِمْ حَافِظُونَ Those who guard their private parts. And guarding the private parts means covering them as well. But then what is mentioned? إِلَّا عَلَى أَزْوَاجِهِمْ So it is not necessary, meaning a person is allowed to expose his private parts to the spouse, there is a weak, baseless narration that is ascribed to Aisha radiallahu anha that states that she never saw the Prophet sallallahu private parts and vice versa. It's a weak hadith, right? And it clearly contradicts this. So there is absolutely no harm in this. Bab al-ghusli bil-sa'i wa nahwihi. Performing ghusl with a sa'r. Sa'r is an amount of water. Wa nahwihi or it's thereabouts, meaning a little more or less. So on average, how much water should be used for ghusl? Or is it masnoon? Sa'r. How much is one sa'r? Six to eight liters. Six to eight liters. We have learned about mud in Kitab al-Wudu. Now we're learning about sa'r. Mud is for wudu and sa'r is for ghusl. So one mud is the amount of water that is sufficient for performing wudu. And four to five mud make up one sa'r. So the amount of water that you do that you use for wudu, multiply that four or five times. And that should be enough for performing ghusl. One sar is six to eight liters, and it is four to five mud. One mud is sufficient for wudu. And four to five mud should be sufficient for ghusl. Now what does this mean? That don't just stand in the shower and keep showering and showering and enjoying that hot water. No, don't do that. If you have a backache or, you know, you have sinuses or something and you want the steam, that's a different thing. But as a regular habit, showering for 10-15 minutes, it could be israf. Even though it may be cheap, even though we could afford it, even though it's easily available, it would be israf. Israf is excessiveness, right? Extravagance, using more than you need. The question is that if, you know, if a person is unwell, like if a, if a woman is in labor, let's say, and standing under the hot shower, something that helps her uh, with the pain, then is that israf as well? No, it's not israf because you are, you need that. Just be as quick as possible, in other words. Okay, because you can't really measure out the water that has come out of the shower head, but at least you can time yourself. That shaitan, he puts doubts throughout wudu, 
throughout ghusl even, that even when you're taking ghusl, so much water is pouring on you, but still you feel that what if it's left dry from somewhere and you keep pouring water on yourself, you know, for a very long time. So it makes the shower difficult. It makes the shower longer. And you end up using much more water, which is khilaf sunnah One more thing, if you look at the way that the Prophet ﷺ did ghusl, it seems like a very quick ghusl. Wash hand, private part, wudu, and then wet the scalp, and then pour water on the head three times with the hand, and then on the rest of the body, and the feet at the end. It's pretty fast. And especially when there's no shower, you know, so much water spraying on you, you're going to get cold really fast. So then you speed up automatically. But we have, you know, we want the shower to be as comfortable as possible, as long as possible. And this is why ghusl, many people find it difficult to do. People find it difficult to do ghusl. They say, why is it necessary? Why is it a must? And they don't want to do ghusl before, you know, if let's say they're in the state of janaba, they don't want to perform ghusl before sleeping. Or they find it difficult to do it before salah. It happens to people. They find it difficult. Why? Because we have made our shower so difficult upon ourselves. I mean, even if you're using soap, and which you should, but still, you can still be conservative in the use of water. A shower is not a place where you just stand and stand and stand and think about everything and no, in and out, be quick, be quick. Then you have to use that kind of conditioner which you have to leave in your hair for 10 minutes. So that's why 10 minutes you're standing in the shower because what's the point of stepping out of the shower? So 10 minutes the water is just running and running and running. Instead of that, just go get a protein treatment done once in a while. I mean, why stand in the shower 10 minutes? Really? The thing is that Sunnah makes our life easier. It makes our life easier. It makes it possible for us to follow the commands of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when we move away from that, we create problems for ourselves. If you have a habit of taking quick showers, you'll find it easy to take a shower. And when you take long showers, then it's a chore. Or in a way, like it's something that you have to really put your mind into. That be grateful for the blessing of shower heads, right? That you don't have to pour water on yourself. You don't have to fill up a bucket and then pour water on yourself. It's a big blessing, but please, let's not misuse it. It gives you confidence that my shower is right. My wudu is valid. My ghusl is done. And even um, many houses here, I mean, if there are multiple people living in the same house, if three people, let's say, they take a long shower, by the time the fourth one will go in, there won't be much hot water left. You know about that, right? So this is why we have to be careful that these habits develop in childhood, right? Again, one is that you fill the tub all the way to the top, and the other is halfway, and the other is like two inches, three inches, a little bit, let them play, and then just quickly, you know, rinse them out at the end, and khalas, that's it. The little children, or it's good for them to play in the water even, it relaxes them. So... Let them play, but don't fill up the water too much. حدثنا عبد الله بن محمد قال حدثني عبد الصمد قال حدثني شعبة قال حدثني أبو بكر بن حفص قال سمعت أبا سلمة يقول he said who Abu Salama and this Abu Salama is Abdullah the son of Abdul Rahman bin Auf. Okay, he's not the companion who passed away very early on in Medina, the first husband of Um Salama. No. This is Abu Salama, the son of Abdul Rahman bin Auf. So he said that the khaltu ana, I entered, ana wa akhu Aishata. I entered and the brother of Aisha radiallahu anha. Ala Aishata. Meaning both of us came to Aisha radiallahu anha, meaning to her house. Fasa'alaha akhuha an ghusli nabiyya sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So her brother asked her about the bath of the Prophet ﷺ. Meaning, how much water did he use when he would perform a bath? So, to prove to him that ghusl can be performed with a little bit of water, even as much as a saw, she didn't just say that it's sufficient. She proved it to him. She proved it to him that a saw is sufficient for taking a bath. So then what did she do? Fada'at bi'ina'in. And it was her brother, so there was no harm. She called for a container. Nahwan min sar. Which, is, which was something like a sar. Meaning which had water about a sar. 
فَغْتَسَلَتْ And then she took a bath. وَأَفَاضَتْ عَلَى رَأْسِهَا And she poured it on her head even. Meaning, she was a woman, hair. I mean, she didn't just wash the body, but she washed her hair with it too. وَبَيْنَنَا وَبَيْنَهَا حِجَابٍ And it's understood there was a screen between them and her. قَالَ أَبُوْ عَبْدِ اللَّهِ قَالَ يَزِيدُ بْنُ هَارُونَ وَبَهْزٌ so in this hadith, what do we see? That the Prophet ﷺ used how much water for a bath? Sar. And the companions who were close to the Prophet ﷺ knew that it is definitely possible to take a bath with how much water? Only a sar. And if anyone said, how is it possible? Then they proved it. So for example, Aisha ﷺ, she proved it. That okay, bring me a sar. I'll take a bath. Okay? There's no water over here in the washing area. There's a screen right there. And she used that much water and it was proven. So this was basically ta'aleem bil fairly. This was teaching through action. Now many people, they have criticized this hadith, the action of Aisha anha, and based on this they have criticized the authenticity of hadith even. But there's nothing strange about this. Hasn't it ever happened that a woman has taken a bath while her brother or other male relatives may be home. But obviously she's taking a bath in the washroom. There is a screen between her and the rest of the people. So there's nothing to be shy about over here. That How could she take a bath while they were there? And there was, yes, there was a screen, but still, no, there was a screen. She was covered. And besides, it was her brother. So there was no harm. The main thing over here is that she proved that you can take a bath with this much water. And we see that Uthman anhu also when the people asked him about the wudu of the Prophet ﷺ, he demonstrated that wudu. He showed it with his action. So the Sahaba, they didn't just use words, but they also taught through action. This much water, I can show you how to take a bath with this. Wudu, I can show you how the Prophet ﷺ did wudu. This was ta'aleem bil fairly. Modesty, haya is there, definitely. But we see that this is her brother. And the proper way was adopted. A screen was between them and her. Alright, so there is absolutely nothing wrong with this. Inshallah, we'll continue the rest after. Okay. So to summarize uh, today's class, what do we learn? The main, main points that you've learned about Ghusl, that wudu is not a requirement, but it is better. It is mustahab. We learned about the musnoon way of doing ghusl, and we also learned about the quantity of water that should be used in doing ghusl, meaning the minimum amount possible. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the feet to actually act upon this. Because if not acted on, knowledge is useless then. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.